Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. Hey, Paul, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, man? How was your trip? It was great. It was great. So we got back from New Orleans. It's the first time I'd ever been in New Orleans. So just Hannah and I went there for the weekend, like three nights at an Airbnb. A guy we know here locally, uh, it's his Airbnb. So that worked out really well. And great location, man. It was like 70 to 80 degrees every day. Oh, yeah. Um, we left and it was 30 here. And we got home and it was like 23 last night. So, uh, and I had to shovel my driveway again today. So it was, it was great getting some warm weather and, and just having, you know, three full days to do whatever we wanted or, or nothing at all. So yeah. cool town, man. I'll definitely go back. Uh, just really unique, um, cool place. So yeah, yeah awesome. I liked it. Yeah. What have you been up to? Just buying things. <laughs> you on a buying spree right now? Yeah, it's on a buying spree. No, bought our uh, bought our retirement land. Yeah, in nice. uh, Lenore City, Tennessee. All right. So we're gonna do the whole, you know, finance the land, get a construction loan, and and start uh, start building here probably uh, in October. Oh, really? And then yeah. so it'll be ready by time you guys leave there. Yeah, we'll probably end up staying here through uh, the kids' school year, twenty twenty five. I think. Yeah. Possi- possibly. It depends what Tammy's career and some other stuff, but okay. Yeah, light light is starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So yeah, nice. It, it's good on the other side, brother. I can't wait. I mean, I still got the guard, but you know that's one weekend a month. Yeah, to do that standing on my head. Yep. So yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, let's get into it. There's <laughs> there's been a lot going on in the last week, in the last few days, really. But uh, before we start, let's talk about the webinar. So at the time this podcast is published, that means the webinar is this week. So right. get in the show notes right now, hit pause, go to the show notes, register for the webinar, and join us March 21st, 7 p.m. Central Time for just one hour of Q&A. Um, you know, bring your questions, bring anything we've discussed that you want further clarification on or a deeper dive and, and let's get into it. It'll be good. Well, all right. So, man, uh, now this is funny. We're recording on March 14th. This is coming out next week, like on March 20th or something like that. Um, who knows what's going to happen between then, now and then. Like we've already had three big bank failures Two in the last since last Friday, from Friday through Sunday, two bank failures occurred, the second largest and the third largest in American history. Within Isn't a forty crazy? within a forty eight hour span. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I was watching uh I was watching Bloomberg today in the gym and the, the talking heads on there who aren't talking about the real problem, but they're talking about what they what they know, right? And they they were showing like the treasury yields and stuff. And they're like, this is very similar to 2008. <laughs> <laughs> Different reasons though. And 
I'm just like, oh my goodness gracious. I'm like, this is, it's going to keep happening. Yeah. Over and over and over. It will. And who do they like to blame? They like to blame the consumer who's running to the bank to get their money because they're scared. That's who they blame. Right. You know, that's- Now, they don't blame our our cartelized fractional reserve lending system that we exist under that, you know, caused the cost of real estate to become unattainable for most people, drove up the prices of everything. Right. You know, oh, but it was COVID, Paul. Like, no, 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 it wasn't. Kept rates artificially low. Too long. Which, as we know, if you study Austrian economics, you know, when the Fed artificially manipulates the interest rate and keeps it down and suppressed for such a long time, it sends false cues to business owners and and corporations and even families. That, no question. Hey, you better, you're stupid if you're not borrowing money right now. You better borrow, you better build, you better capitalize, you better you know, expand, expand, expand because money is so cheap right now. And then boom, the rate shoots up and, and now what? You know, now you got people with like what five year arms who are coming up on having to refinance. And guess what? The, you know, the golden years didn't last forever. And now they're, you know, their monthly payment could double. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sensitive to the real estate thing because I'm actively involved in, in buying some, but I'm buying it from a, a couple. Um, you know, they're from California, is what I was told. And the market there has changed, it's, it's largely corrected. And now they can't, and interest rates are high. They can't sell. Uh, this is my guess. They can't sell their existing property. Yeah, because it's priced out. You know, with interest rates being at six to seven for a thirty-year note, it's priced out everybody. So anyway, the whole point is we don't have a free market for money in this country. We'll likely never see it, I guess, ever again. But things worked just fine before we had a central bank. Uh, before nineteen thirteen, things were just just fine. And uh, yeah. Since then, it's been one depression or recession, one boom and bust after another. So if you're looking for something to read, folks, I would go and I would read, I would definitely get into some Austrian economics. Uh, You know, the the modern guy is out there is is Dr. Robert Murphy. Uh, You can read a lot of his stuff out there, but there's just so much, you know, there's so much to know about it, but you'll know what, at least what's going on and why it's occurring. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, mm. collapse because I've already had clients texting me, sending me articles, being like, it sure is good to be your own banker right now. Uh, you know, <laughs> Moody's just downgraded the entire banking industry to unstable. Um, so, you know, things, things are not looking good. But uh, so in short, the Silicon Valley Bank, and I th- I'm sure most listeners have, have heard about this. Maybe they haven't really done a whole lot of deep dive into it. But so this bank, failed, collapsed because uh, a good old fashioned bank run. Mm-hmm. So what, what's a bank run? Um, you want to, well, the, the first yeah, thing that I'll, came to mind is it's a wonderful life like that, that yeah. part in the movie. J- Dave is showing his age here, folks. You know, if you remember that movie from the 1950s with Jimmy Stewart, it's a classic. I was not alive it is, when it was made. My, I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. Merry Christmas. Right. I love that movie. But, um, so he ran a, a like a building and the old building and loan, right? And yep. he um and there's a scene in there where things are, you know, it's the Great Depression and people coming in there, I want you know, everyone's got their money there, right? And he's like, Well, your money's not in in here, it's in Joe's house, and your money's in Bob's house, right? right. And 
Um, and they show at the end of that scene, like they put one dollar or two, I think it was two dollars actually into the little thing and lock the safe and shut the door. And yeah, um, but anyway, yeah, yep, they made it right. So, but that's that's what a bank run is. Everyone is rushing to the bank to literally get their cash. And of course, you can't go to your bank if you've got a couple hundred thousand dollars at the local, I don't know, mom and pop bank. Guess what? They probably don't have 200,000, and I'm making up numbers, but whatever amount in that vault to give you. They might, but they, they probably don't. Not if everyone's going to get their cash, right? right. So that's what was occurring. Um, and of course, people can do it digitally, right? They can, sure. Of course, they can shut that down. Oh, the internet is not working right now at this at this bank. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Our website is having problems. Interesting. Website is so, having issues. So you're saying. If everything goes to crypto or we get this crypto-based currency, they'd be able to just shut it down anytime they want, huh? Interesting. App, I yes. Yeah. And that's so let's face could, it. Yeah. We're that's the goal, right? We're moving toward that, folks. And you know, at this yeah. point, I don't know if we can stop it, but so a, anyway, yeah, a, anyway. a bank run. So depositors wanted their their money back because they heard there were problems at the bank and they said, Well, I'm gonna get my cash out and move it to a more stable bank while there's still cash to be had. Well, what what happens then is, you know, if, if they even had 10% on reserves, meaning they had 10% of the deposits that came in still in the bank in cash, but more than you know, more than 10% of their depositors wanted all their money back, um then they're insolvent. They don't have the money to pay them back. So, how did this happen? So, this bank was bringing in a lot of money from all those tech companies, those startups in Silicon Valley, right? Uh, it was the darling of of the banking world. In fact, mm -hmm. Forbes magazine called it one of America's best banks just a month ago. <laughs> That's in their magazine. You know how fastly have they redacted that magazine? And uh, and what's his face there? Mad Money was telling telling people Jim Cramer buy their stock to, to buy it. <laughs> and uh, oh my goodness, yeah, it's called the Cramer Swing and a index. Miss, buddy. It's the Cramer index. Do exactly the opposite of what he says, and you'll be just fine. Um. Anyway, but so this bank. They, of course, they're not going to keep all the money there. They got to put it to work to, to make money, right? Get it making money for them. So they invest a lot in long-term treasury bonds. And at the time they were doing that, buying up all these T-bonds, the rates were very, very low, right? right? Artificially from the Fed. And then all of a sudden rates skyrocket. They yep. jump, right? Triple in the last several months. And... Uh, turns out now they have to sell those bonds for a loss because guess what? When the rates go up, a lot of people stopped borrowing money from the banks too. And they started actually just using the cash they had on deposit to pay their bills, to do their operations and, and fund their company instead of taking a cheap money loan to do That's that. That's right. Right. Yep. So now all you got all these depositors coming in and, and taking more money out every month because they got to pay their bills. And the bank is sitting here like, oh, Wow. We're losing a lot of cash. We got to sell some of these treasury bonds to get our cash back and get some liquidity. Uh, and then they tell everybody, you know, it comes to light that, hey, we're selling all these bonds for a loss because, you know, they're going for much higher these days. So who wants to buy a 2% bond, you know, when you can get five or 6%? So they got to sell it at a, at a major discount. That's um, right. And then that stokes the fears, rightfully so. Everybody wants their money out, and then all of a sudden you're insolvent because you can't you can't sell enough of your assets to recover all the deposits that you owe everybody. So That's now right. your bank's insolvent. 
Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable, though. And everyone's like, oh, we didn't see this coming. It's the same old story with these people, too. We didn't see this coming. Oh, we need more regulation. Oh, because it's because we deregulated or whatever, right? You know, this is the business cycle. Like you said at the beginning, Dave, the false signals, right? Yeah. People were making crappy decisions for many years because interest money was cheap. And now it's the chickens are coming home to roost. Yeah. And I don't know, the, the other articles I read mentioned they're, they're, they didn't even have a chief uh, risk officer, a CRO, for like the last eight months. And the one was they it? did have before that was so caught up in these woke uh, you know, company uh, agendas that they were pushing, you know, like Trans Day and all this other stuff. Of course. She was focused on that instead of you know, the risk analysis. Yeah, like doing her doing the job she was hired to do. Right. And and protecting the, you know, the value of their of their shares and and protecting the, the their depositors, you know. So there's obviously no interest in doing that. You know, I also read that their their was it their CFO was uh had the, held the same position at Lehman in 2008. Oh yeah, like all their main C-suite staff there, their their pedigree was great all from failed companies. <laughs> it's like are you that <laughs> are you that hard up for talent that you can't go down to like I don't know, go down the street to Stanford and like go to their MBA program. Like, hey, anybody want to run a solid business for us? Right. No, there's no interest in that. No, they'll take people who have already crashed and burned in one business and bring them over and let them do the same in another one. Maybe it'll be different this time, kind of like communism. Um, So anyway, now the FDIC steps in, right? Because most of these depositors had way more than 250,000 on deposit. They had millions and billions. Um, you know, they were venture capitalist firms and, and tech companies. So, um, of course they're going to get bailed out because they're elites. So, you know, and, and of course the FDIC and the fed says, Hey, don't worry. The, the taxpayer doesn't have to cover this bailout. Really? What the, no. Where's the money coming from then? <laughs> well, it's either going to come through the hidden tax of inflation when they create money out of thin air, just like they did during the pandemic. And um, although I don't know if they're in the position to do that at this point, because their balance sheet from, you know, 2020 to 2022, 23 was, you know, the, it's like a vertical, you know, it's like pulling, you know, nine G's and an A10 going straight up in the air. Right. And they can you only know, handle 7.33. So it fell that's, apart. Still, that's still a lot. We can only do about two. <laughs> Before the yeah, blades well, my fall body off. can only handle about four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, right. well, so they do that, or they charge banks more fees to to replenish the FDIC, right, to so, make up for it. Which, yeah. what do you think, banks are? Are banks just going to absorb those fees and say, "Oh darn, I guess we got to pay more fees"? No, what are they going to do? Of course not. That's going to get passed on to the the customers of the bank, right? Exactly. So yep. folks, it's never, the whole point is, right? This is never, this is never a surprise. Um, you're going to, you're going to pay for it. Whether you're a depositor or a taxpayer, you're going to pay for it. Yep. Right. And that is the, the crux of this problem. Yep. Like uh, Nelson says, the consumer pays all taxes. What does that That's mean? Right. It means you yahoos, you, you jack wagons who are saying, oh, tax corporations, make corporations pay more in taxes. Think through that. Just a couple steps. Imagine you owned a corporation and you had to pay more taxes. How do you think you would you would make up for that loss of revenue? You would increase the prices of everything. That's right. Which is exactly what they do down to the consumer. Boom. Yep. 
and these I mean, I, I use particular banks that are friendly to military, but I did bank with some other banks uh, for, for different things over the years. And the fees, the fees are ridiculous. I was like, wait a minute, you, you're going to charge me a fee because I don't have a direct deposit every month? Oh, yeah. You know why they want that direct deposit every month? They can leverage the snot. They can leverage that. the snot out of it, of Man. course. Yep. <laughs> that was one of the big, that was one of the big four, by the way. That's gotten in trouble many many times over you know or every few years they're in the news for billions of dollars of uh of fines which of <laughs> course they can easily pay since they lend out money that doesn't exist but anyway um yeah man yes yeah. any, any bank that pays a billion dollar fine does it with a smile on their face yeah because they made several more billion dollars doing whatever they were doing in order to get that fine yeah, people don't probably realize it, Dave, but it's it's worth pointing out that banks make two to three thousand percent a month. Unreal. I mean, when you sell other people's money over and over and over, I mean, you you sell the same money on a daily basis. It's via the Mandrake mechanism. <laughs> uh, that's it, another episode, I guess. Yeah. So, so what are so that's the problem. So let's talk solutions let's let's before we even get into life insurance what are maybe let's talk about the fdic insurance because i think most people i mean you pull up to any teller you know you drive through the bank and on the window you or you go to the teller it says fdic you know this cut this bank is insured under fdic up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. yep now what that means folks is that's two hundred fifty thousand dollars per depositor per bank per um account type like is it a a cd um and maybe cds aren't even covered but is it you know checking and savings is it a money market account is it a brokerage um some other account there's there's different types of accounts you could have so every different account type that they segregate is protected up to two hundred fifty thousand. every depositor is two hundred fifty thousand. if you have a joint account like with you and your spouse that's protected up to 500,000. What about people who have a million or more in the bank? Like, what should they be doing without bringing life insurance into it yet? What, what are I some I options? Would, I, would, I would spread that million dollars over as many accounts as I needed to, so I was fully covered. Yeah, and maybe, maybe different banks too. Like, mm -hmm. I'm gonna you know, hedge my bets and uh, diversify, if you will, because who knows what bank is going next? Yeah, because you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. But it's worth unpacking the FDIC, and I'm glad you brought it up because I forgot I had a, a brilliant thing to say about it. Um, and it's worth it's worth for folks to look into is that the FDIC is not real insurance, folks. No. If it were, it would be effective, meaning risky banks you know, that are assessed as high risk, their premiums would be higher, wouldn't they be, Dave? Just like if you were, uh, you know, if you had three DWIs and I had a perfect driving record, your drive, your auto insurance would be a lot higher, right? Because you're right. at higher risk, right? And mine would be lower. And that's the way real insurance would work. But it doesn't work like that with the F FDIC, right? And no. of course, those fees that they pay get, get paid by you, the depositor, because you're getting those fees passed on to you by the bank. So, um, so what you're saying is, regardless of the driving record, every bank pays the exact same amount in insurance, yes. the same yes. insurance premium, right? Which yes. makes no sense at all. Makes no sense. 
you know, and if, and if you know, well, my depositors are covered up to 250,000, um, what's to stop them from taking risks other than they don't want to fail. Like no bank wants to fail, but they're, they're definitely, you know, they're, they're kind of encouraged to take more risk if they don't have to pay any extra to take that risk. Well, that, well, that's the thing. If we're going to have this lender of last resort, the taxpayer is going to bail them out either, you know, you know, they'll say it's a taxpayer bailout. It is, uh, indirectly, then what's the incentive to be an honest banker, right? Not take risk and not take gambles. Well, there is no incentive. It's like, Hey, oops, sorry. Yeah. Um, so anyway, and of course the FDIC last time I checked had less than 1% of its there's, I mean, there's trillions of dollars of deposits in the banks, right? Dave, of just people, normal people, right? There's 330 American, 30 million Americans or whatever. There's trillions of dollars in deposits. The FDIC can meet about less than 1% of its obligation to you. Right. Yep. You can look that up. That's a public number. Yep. And that's um, fairly close, folks. But last time I checked, it was about that. It's so you're not protected. Yeah. So even if, even if, you know, the Fed came in and bailed people out who, you know, say several banks failed and a lot of people lost a lot of money, FDIC ran out of money, they become insolvent. Um, the Fed steps in and prints a bunch of money. We all suffer anyway. Right. right. It's just more inflation. That's right. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk some, some other practical alternatives. Let's, let's pretend people don't have, um, aren't familiar with life insurance and, and you know, the thing we're going to get to that on why we put our money in life insurance companies and why we think they're much safer and, and why in fact they are. Um, but some other alternatives people could look into credit unions. I like credit unions. They're, they're nonprofits. Um, and you're actually an owner. Kind of like a mutual life insurance company. I'm an owner of the company because I'm a policy holder. Uh, credit unions are owned by the members of the yep. credit union. Um, and they have, no, they don't have FDIC insurance, but they have something that's exactly the same. It was created you know, decades ago and has the exact same stipulations, 250000 per depositor per account. Right. So, yeah, your money's still just as protected there, maybe more so because actually I didn't look up to see what kind of um, reserves that uh, organization, like the National Credit Union Administration has. Yeah, We could probably Google that, but um, maybe they have more than the FDIC as a percentage. You never know. I, 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 I have this feeling that it's like the same. <laughs> yeah, but probably. I don't know. But I don't know. Yeah. You know, but... I don't know. I, I also like credit unions because uh, they're a lot more personable. And this is funny. I, the first credit union I signed up for uh, maybe like five years ago, I, I just had a you know starting a business and hadn't really shown much of a capability yet. But they're like, hey, do you like hockey? Sure. They're like, you want to go to a NHL game with us? Yeah, I do. So my brother <laughs> and I went with them and, and, you know, I got to see my first NHL game, you know, and they pay for drinks and food and, and after they were like, see you later. It was cool. They wine and dined us. Um, that's crazy. They, and they're all about like building relationships. They were going to give yeah. me like a $20,000, um, loan on my like seven year old F one fifty at 3%. That's pretty good. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, these are, Credit unions are cool. I don't want to, you know, spend too much time on them, but you yeah. know, if it, you have one in your area. There's one you can be a part of somehow. So maybe look into that as well. 
So, or what's the real alternative for where to store your capital? Mutual life insurance company. Right. A well-run mutual life insurance company with a with good industry rankings and in my opinion, a 100 plus year track record of paying dividends. Yep. I mean, yeah, no why question. not? Like there's plenty of them out there that have more than a hundred year track record. Yeah. There's a, there, there's a bunch and we have our, our favorites that are more, that are geared more to IBC, uh, but certainly, you know, take a look at them and uh, you can look at their financial rankings that are out there, public knowledge. You can look at their, what they often refer to as their Comdex score, which is kind of a, aggregation of a bunch of different scores from the different ranking rating agencies right um but you can look all that stuff up and you know something over 90 is is probably good something over 95 uh, yeah. that's probably where you want to be yeah why not because there's there there are some very solid mutual life insurance companies there so how safe are life insurance companies paul now when i ask that question the 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 response is well compared to what so yeah. let's compare life insurance companies to banks because that's where the majority of, of Americans keep their money. Sure. So let's let's dive into some of the reasons why we think life insurance companies are the safest place to to keep your money outside of a you know a, a built-in fireproof safe in your house um, where it, it's not going to earn for you. You can't leverage it. Uh, you can't do anything with it except store it. But uh, anyway, compared to banks. Why are life insurance companies a better place to store your capital? Well, specifically, and I'm going to focus on the mutuals because that's who we use. Um, but but generally speaking, insurance companies uh, are are very stable and very profitable businesses. But I'm going to focus on the mutual life insurance companies. Um, you know, you can go back and look at the history, Dave, of of during like the Great Depression, for example where there were thousands of bank failures. Hey, you can go to the savings and loan fiasco of the 80s, right? Same same kind of scenario, right? Banks were failing, you know, these savings and loans were failing left and right. Well, mutual life insurance companies, and there's some big ones, and there's all different sizes, but they're very, very stable. And part of that reason is, is that they're not beholden just to stockholders. So they're not always trying to do these risky things to generate a return to make their, you know, make their stock more appealing so people buy more of it. You know, right? Right. Um, they're not doing that. They have a long-term outlook, so that they can meet their obligations twenty, thirty years down the road and and beyond. And what are their obligations based on? Are you like, saying like guarantees or? Yeah, like how uh, do they determine what their future liabilities are going to be like? In the next oh, year, well, they, how, how much do we have to pay out in death benefit? Right. So they use, I think you're getting at actuarial science. Exactly. Right. And so folks, what actuarial science is, and it's same thing with auto insurance or homeowners insurance or whatever, but they use the law of large numbers, right? So they might take 10 million lives of a selected group of people, like healthy 43-year-old males, right? Uh, a couple. Yeah. Like this, like this handsome fellow right here, right with that beautiful hair. So you take you take Dave, right? Healthy guy, works out, doesn't really eat much. I do all the eating for him because I really like food. Although New, and, New Orleans, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm recovering some of that Cajun food. That was good. Yeah, yeah. there's some Frenchies. There's a lot of Frenchies down there. Anyway, 
uh, you you take those lives. So they the life insurance companies know, really down to a very, to, in a very accurate number of how many people are gonna of that selected group are gonna die in a given year. They know. Right. Yep. Right. So that's how this business really works. Right. And they and they over engineer the policy or the policy design. Right. So they're and Dave Ramsey kind of gets into that with like, oh, they're overcharging you for insurance, you know, whatever. Um, he's not true. They 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 build it so it's very um so they can meet their obligations. It's it's conservatively designed and with a reserve in mind. So that's kind of all over the place, but actuarial yep. science is the bottom is the bottom line. That's how they do it. Yeah, it's based on the science. So it's it's not based on modern money theory or what you know our fractional reserve banking is is based on the assumption that not everybody wants to come and redeem their cash at the same time. Right. However, when that happens, banks go insolvent. Insolvent. It's impossible for them not to. That's right. Because they don't have the reserves to pay everybody. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're right. And you know, even over yeah. So some stats we pulled up like. During the Great Depression, there were failures of insurance companies, but um, 14% of insurance companies failed and 38% of banks failed. Over 9,000 banks failed during the Great Depression. However, that 14% of insurance companies that failed, that number also includes um, many companies that were just taken over by larger, healthier insurance companies, which is right. usually what happens. Yep. Um, so... That doesn't mean that 14% of people just lost everything. In fact, uh, it's been said, and I've never seen, you know, I, I think Laura, uh, Carlos Laura wrote this in an article and he admitted he'd never seen any evidence to, to refute this statement that even during the Great Depression, not a single policy owner lost their policy. Right. So those assets still remain intact. Death benefits were always paid out during the Great Depression. Um, nobody ever did not get a death benefit paid out during that time. Yeah. And that's, and that's super, super important, especially during, during times like that. I mean, it was right. an awful time to, and of course the government got involved and made the depression even worse. Way worse. Uh, Thank you. FDR. Way, I mean, way worse. I mean, it was just, yeah. just terrible. It was, it, was, already was, it was already recovering before FDR yeah. started interfering. And then all he did was like Obama did in 08, just slowed the recovery. That's all he did. That's, that's correct. So again, you know, people are all emotional about this, this bank. And my, my recommendation is to do nothing. Do nothing. Do nothing. Yeah. Let the market figure the market, it out. The market will no. figure it out. Yeah. But of course we can't do that. No, because, you know, there's the politics involved and, um, well, they have to justify know. their existence. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, but no, it, it, you bring up a great point, Dave. It's, you and I, you know, we're infinite bankers. We keep the only money we keep in commercial banks is what we need to transact our monthly li lifestyle, right? Yeah. Uh, all of our other money gets gets thrown at a mutual life insurance company, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had this conversation with the client today uh, while I was shoveling the driveway. Um, you know, I just made the point that, dude, anytime I have excess cash more than what I need to pay my bills in the next month, that's going back towards my policy in the form of either, you know, premium, 
you know, paid up additions or repaying an outstanding loan. That's right. That's it. Like that's where the money goes. Um, you know, even during the Great Recession of 2008 and, and the aftermath uh, from, you know, 28 to 2010 or whatever, over 500 banks failed. Yep. And from what I could find, only 19 insurance companies failed. And most of those had pretty low Comdex scores anyway, to begin with. That, that's right. And, you know, we had a recent one in the last couple of years who's the last time I checked it before it demutualized, the Comdex score was 73. Hmm. And I remember thinking back then when someone was telling us to to use it, and I was like, why? I wonder, <laughs> it'd be interesting to see the history of that Comdex score, if it was always that low. I don't know. Yeah, or I don't know. if it just declined I don't know. over the years. And the other thing we have to, you know, the trusting of the rating agencies who right. completely turned a blind eye in 2008 because, completely, hey, if right. we don't give them, you know, if we don't rate these bonds and then they're, you know, we're going to lose that contract or whatever. So there's, yeah. you know, a little bit different than the life insurance industry probably, but still, um, you know, do your job. Yeah. Do your job. Be honest. Um, you know, they're all supposed to be independent, but I don't know. It's hard to believe anybody's independent these days. So uh, I think the word is ethics. You know, we have to take six hours of ethics every two years or something. And uh, yeah. as producers, right? So you know, these people should should do the same. Like remind right. them, like, hey, you're here to protect the consumer. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about how the difference is comparing insurance companies to banks, um, in just how they're regulated. Yes. Reserve. So banks, you know, there's a reserve that they have to maintain. You know, historically, it's like you know, ten percent. People say ten percent reserves. We just use that as a. The, the, the typical number, but those reserves have gone all the way down to like zero before. Yeah. Where the, the Fed says, you don't have to maintain any reserves whatsoever. You can loan out recently. all of your money. Um, <laughs> life insurance companies can't do that. They cannot play fractional reserve banking and loan your money um, to other people and, and create money out of thin air like our, right. our centralized banks do. Right. So they're highly regulated at the state level. They have to maintain enough assets to cover their liabilities. That's right. So, yeah. So let's talk about um, their, their investments, right? They're not just sitting on a bunch of cash. Like they have no. some money in cash, not a lot though, but their money is in liquid investments and like investment grade bonds predominantly, like heavy into long term bonds. Yep. Right. And but people are like, oh, wait a minute. Wasn't that what SVB was involved in? The long term bond, the T T bonds, and then they got in trouble when rates went up. Yeah. Well, life insurance companies, again, it's based on actuarial science. They know in the future, hey, 10 years from now, we're going to have like this liability with death claims. Right. So we need bonds that mature 10 years from now, and we need this much money available. So they're able to play it like that. That, that's right, Dave. And they have they have they have sequences, right? So they have different blocks of money that are maturing at different times. Exactly. Right. right? Every every year they probably have a block. Probably. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? That has and right now they're probably buying some some of that longer term stuff because interest rates are up. They haven't been this high in a long time. Um my force first mortgage in 06 was six point three seven five. And that's just what it was. And I wasn't like, oh my goodness, this is so high. You know, everyone, all of you people have been spoiled. Oh, we've all been spoiled. Yep. You know, but yep. I'd rather have, anyway, but anyway, that, that's, but that's the whole point, right? So they, 
they're playing chess. They're not playing checkers, right? They, this is not their first storm to weather. They weathered a low interest rate environment for many years. Let's face it, rates were low for, you know, on average, for the last 20 years. They've been yeah. ridiculously low. So, um, yeah, and they still be, paid out dividends every year. Yes, <clears throat> that's right. They still met all of their, their liabilities, even during COVID, when one uh, mutual company talked about a 40% increase in death be, between you know a certain age range. Right. And that number was actually the way it was, it was deceiving. Um, anyway. Yeah. But, uh, it would take a lot more than that to, to make a company insolvent. Uh, I think that that CEO got up and said something like, you know, even if it was 200% over what we expected it to be in a given year, we'd still be okay that, with the reserves right. they have. That's right. Yeah. You know, these companies, they, they're not over 100 years old and have paid a dividend every year. They've been in existence for a reason because right. they're doing it wrong. You know, they've been doing it right despite despite government regulation and despite, you know, market manipulation, manipulation by the Federal Reserve of interest rates. Um, somehow they've been able to really just uh, just adjust and flex and, and uh, really do a good job to protect us, the policy owners who are part owner of the, of the company. Exactly. So another thing that's really interesting when you compare insurance companies and banks, commercial banks, is like the risk profile. Like we already stated, the risk profile of a bank doesn't matter when it comes to how much premium they have to pay the FDIC to cover their risky bets. <laughs> Life insurance companies, on the other hand, there's a, a risk profile. You know, they're being regulated, they're being looked at, they're being analyzed. And if they're making riskier investments, then they have to hold back more in reserves. Yes, that's that's correct. And that's and that's as it should be. And Dave mentioned earlier that they're regulated heavily at the state level, which is which is why they're able to just look closer, right? I work in the federal government. It's a huge machine. And I just am in the, the Department of Defense sector, right? But it's a huge machine. There's no way they can look at everything all the time in detail. And maybe they don't want to because, hey, their buddy that they went to Dartmouth with is actually the CFO at this company that, you know, anyway, yeah. uh, you know, there's all that going on behind the scenes as well. Right. But uh, right. in their obligations to the stockholders, like we said earlier, our obligation, the companies, the mutual companies, they're obligated to me, the yeah. policy owner, right? And that means something to them, especially these companies that we work with that are, they really do care. They want to pay out that death benefit. They want to pay out that dividend. And I think that's a huge difference. Like these banks, you know, these there's certain people and they're just, I hate to say they're, they're greedy, but you know, they're, they're dishonest and greedy. It's human nature. They're very disconnected from the actual client, yes. from the depositor. Like you're, you're just a, 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 just name. a number. You're just yeah. a number, not even a name, right? Yeah. You hardly even, who goes into the bank anymore? Like eventually they're going to stop letting, I mean, they did it for a whole year with COVID. You couldn't even go into the bank. I mean- I went into a bank wearing a mask, asking for money. That was pretty fun. But you couldn't even yeah. go into a bank. You just had to go through the drive-through, and um, you know everything's online. Now, insurance companies they got online stuff, but insurance companies are very—I don't know—the the leaders of the insurance companies that we we write for are very in tune and involved with us. I mean, they're yes, they're they're available, you know, through text message. Uh, if we have a question or a concern about anything. Yep. That's, so. that's super important. You're not, you know, you're not texting, you know, the, the vice president of Capital One. 
Well, actually, everybody at Capital One is a vice president. Have you noticed that? Every time oh, you yeah. walk into a Everyone's bank, gonna, they're a vice yeah. president. Everyone's a vice president. <laughs> yeah, you're right out of college, man. You're a vice president at a bank. That's a big deal, right? No. they comes with three Joseph A. Bank traveler suits. <laughs> for the for $99. <laughs> hey, don't knock Joseph A. Bank. My suits are, I, I said that. That's exactly yeah. the suit that I have. Yeah, 38 yeah. Slim. Joseph A. Bank. Yeah. Yep. And they're they're just fine. They look great. Yeah. yeah, they do. You probably never wear them, so I'm sure they stay in great shape. You'll I'll see them. You'll see me wearing them in Canada. Oh, do I need to take a real suit for that? Uh, yeah. Okay. Just one. Eh, maybe I'll get a second yeah. one. Do what your career can handle. Yeah, I'll uh, yeah, I'll let the wife shop for a suit. She loves. There you go. She loves dressing me up. Yeah, go to Joseph A. Bank. Joseph Perfect. A. Bank. All right, I will. Been there before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they're not as they're not cheap like you think they would be. I got three for seven fifty, like in twenty fifteen. So that that was a long time ago. All now, like custom, like they tailor them too. Dude, right off the rack, all they did was you know tailor the pants for my height, and oh. but the jacket was yeah. right off the rack. Perfect. Nice, and it still fits. Yeah. Good job, Paul. Not a lot of guys can say that at the end of their military Dude, career. Like. I still wear <laughs> my original dress blue pants are my original dress blue plant blue pants that I got in 2002. Yeah. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. There's not many of us out there. But they uh, they are they are tight. Well, you just filled out, you know. I did. I filled out a little bit. Yeah, I finally filled out. Yeah. Well, anyway, what what other um how many comparisons can we make? I think we hit some really good comparisons. You know? No, I, yeah, I, I would just focus on, you know, life insurance companies, they're not banks. So yeah. totally different set of rules. Uh, they think long range. They're not worried about like making a return for their stockholder right now. State regulated, different reserve co- requirements, heavily regulated on what they can actually invest in, right? They're not out there. They can't go out and, you know, buy you know, 50% of their portfolio can't be in, in securities, right? It's actually a, a very tiny amount, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, very hell, conservative. Very conservative. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just it's just good business based yep. on good science. Actually, let's see, follow the science, right? Trust follow, the science. Trust the science. In this case, you can trust the science because it's actually science. It's not this made-up crap we've seen the last three years. That you're not allowed to question. Yeah, no. Anyway. This is this is true science, and uh, I've never heard of a bank run on a mutual life insurance company. <laughs> right? No. I'll give credit to Ryan for for posting that, but I thought that yeah, was that a nice was little quip. Never seen a yep. bank run on a mutual life insurance company. Yeah, because guess what? I'm first in line. I can go anytime, get my money. I'm first in line. Yep. And just a reminder, folks. Right? I'm part owner of that company. That's going to pay me a dividend. I want it to be profitable. It is profitable. Right. Law of large numbers. It's going to continue to be profitable through all this, all this crap on the side. It's just noise, right? I don't. I mean, we're talking about it because a lot of you have reached out to have us talk about it a little bit. But um, there's a reason all my capital is over here and not over there. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if there. Um, if outstanding policy loans are being repaid much quicker in the last couple of days because of those bank failures. 
<laughs> like that again, folks, if you have a policy and you have available paid up additions that you could fund this year remaining, uh, if you don't know, just call the company and say, how much paid up additions can I put in for the remainder of my policy year? And they'll tell you down to the penny. Um, yeah. Or if you have an outstanding policy loan, and you have cash sitting in somebody else's bank that you don't need in the next 30 days to pay a bill, you better be putting that back into your life insurance policy. Like, just, we warned you right here. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but why would you not? Why would you want to keep that money exposed in a commercial bank when you have the perfect, safe place that you've already created in which to store that capital? Just put it back. Yep. And we've covered that before. You know, there's no reason, there's no reason to do that. Yeah. I mean, because you can, you can access it, you can take it, you know, take a policy loan at any time if you need it. That's right. Even, the, even during a, the Great Depression, they were allowed to take policy loans. Yeah. I just took a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. So did I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So hopefully that, uh, that, that should pay off quite nicely. I touched though. almost every policy, actually. Yeah. I kind of spread the, spread, spread the wealth around, you know? Spread the wealth. Yep. Oh, speaking of, I saw... Okay, this is the last thing. We've, we're going a little long here, but I wanted to state this. I took a picture of it too. It was uh, I was at this art gap. It was an outdoor art street or whatever, and there's just all kinds of crazy stuff around in New Orleans. And there was a banner there, and it said, "We don't spread wealth; we recycle it." I was like, "That's awesome! I love recycling wealth. I, yes. I, I'm recycling. I'm using the same dollar over and over and over to." to grow my wealth. And that's exactly what I do. I think they were probably talking about it a little bit differently. I didn't want to get in a conversation with the hippie behind the counter about it, but I liked it. Like that could be our motto if we didn't have a better one already. Do they have Birkenstocks? I don't, I, I, I didn't look at their feet. Um, it was crowded. Yeah. I wouldn't wear sandals uh, in a crowded area. No. So. Nope. Eh, no. No. But uh, there's plenty of Burks around Minnesota, man. Everybody wears them. So, and they're not all granola either. Like it's just granola. Like the, it's there just it like is. The fashion thing out here. The granola shoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have I don't that have any. Some, have some Birkenstocks with a side of quinoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll end it there. If you didn't listen to us at the beginning, go ahead. Go to the show notes, register for the webinar coming up this week, and we look forward to seeing you guys there. And until next time, control your capital. Or somebody else will. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at theibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.